Sequel Quest, Episode 72, Tron 3, now entering the grid. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Greetings, programs. Welcome to the grid. You're just in time for the games. Allow me to introduce the other combatants currently booting up to enter the Sequel Quest Arena. He fights for the users, now accessing Jeff 2.0. Ahoy hoy! Leaving a trail of red behind him as he approaches the mic, currently undefeated Light Cycle Champion, now accessing Jeremy.exe. You know it. And voted most likely to be derezzed in his high school yearbook, I'm O.S. Adam. Wow. <laughs> so, so, like, someone said you were going to be killed. Is that what you uh, said? Yeah. Wow. That's, That's, like, most likely to go to prison. So dark. <laughs> An unidentified combatant has entered the arena. Identify yourself, program. I'm not a program. I'm Michael Kennedy. Welcome to the games, Michael Kennedy. <laughs> hey! He's back. Our one and only three-peat Michael Kennedy. Glad to have you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this one. Jeremy, tell the folks at home what we're talking about today if they haven't caught on already. We are talking the 1982 Tron as well as the 2010 sequel Tron Legacy, starring Jeff Bridges, David Warner, Bruce Boxleitner, Cindy Morgan, Garrett Hedlund, Olivia Wilde, and directed by Steven Lisberger and Joseph Kaczynski. Well, we got to get into this. I think people have probably heard of Tron. So the question is for all of us, how did we get exposed to the world of Tron? Because for most of us, it was before our time, or in my case, the year I was born. Jeff, just a few years earlier. Jeremy, way before you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael, how about for you? Because you're the one who actually suggested this. You told us you had a Tron 3 in mind. Where did you connect with this franchise? Well, Tron, the original, came out the year I was born also. I actually had never seen Tron 1 before I saw Tron Legacy. And I really liked it, except that I felt that it had one or two mistakes that it could have made better and made the story more powerful. And then I actually watched Tron after the fact and I was like this movie felt way before its time and I felt like back in the early 80s and the late 70s AI was like a big deal and the audience wasn't ready for it and now I feel like today AI is such a big thing and augmented reality is a very popular thing that it's time for these movies to really get invigorated again. I think it's important real quick and we'll get into everybody's connection but the whole concept of Tron in 1982 was that a programmer gets sucked into a computer. So now he is in the digital world. And I don't think anybody at that time really had any idea of what was inside a computer, what a computer was made of. They just, there, there wasn't that 
personal connection that every single one of us has now to a computing device. Like you said at the time, it, it was a bit confusing for most people. But Jeff, we've been friends for a long time, and I didn't yeah. know that you were such a super fan of Tron. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's kind of one of those that has grown, but it hit a whole new level when Legacy came out. It had been something that like we had the Disney Channel growing up, so we'd always see Tron. It would always be on like late when we were all supposed to be asleep. So it was like, ooh, it's one of those grown-up movies. It was very memorable. I don't remember ever watching it from beginning to end as a kid, but you always knew about it because it was so visually unique. There was no other movie ever that stood out like that did. And then the older that I got and the more, it was one of those kind of like when we talked about The Matrix, where once I finally watched it, I was like, wow, okay. And I think a lot of people dismiss it as it was really impressive in 1982. And that's the first thing that you notice is that it is visually like out there. But then the more and more, the deeper you get into the world of Tron, for me, what blew me away was I remember reading about the prequel video game that they made to Tron Legacy, Tron Evolution, where you actually are put into the game. And for me, that was living, and I love video games when they're able to transport you and feel like you live it. And when you got to live it that way, I was just like, oh my gosh. And then diving into the intellectual side of what makes Tron so phenomenal, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, I imagine for you, this was a Tron legacy first and foremost, and then working backwards as well. I knew of Tron I didn't really watch it until after Tron Legacy, as you said. Tron Legacy, I I watched that quite a bit once it came out on video. We were able to throw a few house parties and project that up, and it was a movie that everybody was kind of like, yeah, let's watch it. Nothing too offensive in it, and... (laughs) Everybody kind of enjoyed the spectacle of it, so... Yeah, because when you talk about getting the video, right? My idea of video, obviously, is the VHS tape. And that is where I remember first seeing Tron was at the local video store, probably in 1988. Those giant white Disney clamshell cases (laughs) that had the little, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey at the top that said Walt Disney Pictures, you know, then there'd be a picture in the middle just from the movie. And I remember seeing these two people in blue laser costumes holding each other. Other. Yet, for some reason, I always chose Ghostbusters instead. So, for some I, reason, for some reason. But the, the weird thing is, like, if I had seen it back then, because of all the backlighting, the special effects, they're very similar to Xanadu. So, I have to believe wow. that I would have loved this movie <laughs> just as much had, had I rented it. But the other thing that I remember is. The People Mover ride in Tomorrowland yep. at Disneyland. Oh, yeah, right. People don't remember it. It was this little track that you would just sit in and it would slowly move you around. And it had this one section where you would go inside this room and be like, you are now entering the world of Tron. I didn't know what Tron was at that time. And I just remember, okay, this is weird. All right. But the world of Tron, I never forgot that. The entire dome that you went into was all movie projection. So it made it look like you were on the grid going through a light cycle. It was a full-on immersion sort of a thing. And I think it was even David Warner's voice as Sark saying, we have captured you program and you are going to blah, 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 blah. And then it would show light cycles like zooming up and down all around. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, now because I didn't actually see the film itself until around 2008 
when I finally bought the two disc special edition DVD because it had been this mysterious thing for years. Because also, whenever I went to the movie theater, and Jeff, you probably remember this at, at the Woodbridge Cinemas, they had a Tron yeah. video game. Mm-hmm. Stand up oh, well. arcade cabinet. And Michael, did you ever play that? We had one when I went to college in New Jersey at the movie theater. They had one there, too. I always remembered something that always stuck out about the first Tron movie was that poster. I always was like, it was kind of Star Wars-esque. And I'm like, what is this movie? Like, what is the significance of this poster? And I never got around to seeing it till after I saw Legacy. But I remember playing the game a few times at the like the arcade in college. Yeah, because I mean, it, and it was talking about Jeff. You were saying, you know, video games that put you inside of them. This one, you literally stepped uh-huh. inside. Like it had this overhang that you would go in, and they had a translucent joystick that would light up, and it was black lights on the inside. Like it was a very, very awesome design. And you see it in Tron Legacy. You see, you know, just the standard arcade cabinet version. That was unforgettable if you ever saw it. But let's talk about. The film itself, because I'll get into my history with Tron Legacy, where we give our reviews, our quick reviews. But for you guys, the story of the original Tron from 1982, Jeff Bridges getting sucked into a computer. Do you connect with that film? Roger Ebert, at the time it came out, was one of the proponents of it. He says, oh, it's this wonderful fantasy visual spectacle. And other people were saying, yes, but it's light on story or it has some other issues in the storytelling. So what did you guys think about that? How about you, Michael Canetti, film professor? <laughs> well, honestly, and like I said, I, I just rewatched it a couple of days ago. I thought that the stuff that happened in the real world was much more compelling and interesting than what happened on the grid in the digital world. Just, really? I just found that part of the story really, really compelling. And the master control program is trying to invade the Pentagon and other government agencies in the Kremlin. And I'm like, this is the essence of the Internet. And it, it was long before the Internet even existed. And they're talking about this artificial intelligence trying to infiltrate government agencies. And then we go inside the actual grid and we forget about that completely. It doesn't exist anymore. They're just trying to defeat this thing and have Kevin Flynn get out of the grid. So were they telling the future about what's going on today? It, 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 it <laughs> really like felt it like 40 that. years this ago. Like relevant today. It's so bizarre. And it was very interesting. I see, see what you're saying there, because you're right. There is a lot of intrigue involved in that. You're like, what is this AI program going to do? It's always kind of iffy. Like, yes, he's going to go to the Pentagon. He basically kind of says, you know, I can run things more efficiently because I'm smarter than any human. That's kind of the idea that I guess he's going to take over the world. But it feels like the real story that they're trying to focus on is Kevin Flynn created a video game and then David Warner's character, Ed Dillinger, who stole the video game from him, took the credit and then became a major executive at this company, Edcom. And the real story is that Flynn is trying to hack in so that he can then receive the credit for creating space paranoids. Right. He, he look, he's looking for the source code. There's one line of code in it that shows that he made it. It's so minute in like what the grander scope of what the story should have been because they're just talking about Microsoft or, or Apple, this giant software company, and this guy's just trying to find that, oh, some dude stole his code for a video game, and, and that, yeah. you know, it kind of falls well, short. 
And as ironically that you bring that up, as I understand it, that is the story of the founding of Microsoft, is that <laughs> Steve Jobs was the one that created the concept of a Microsoft Windows, and Bill Gates took his idea and marketed it as his own. Exactly. Yeah. That's how we have Microsoft Windows, and Bill Gates is a billionaire. If you look at early, early, early versions of Microsoft, like version three and, and older, it's designed like early versions of the Mac OS, where right. the dock is on the top and the icons kind of come out, and there's no applications on the desktop. That's what the original version of Windows looks like if you ever research that. Little nerd yeah. fact for you. So, it's, yeah, it's interesting that there is those connections to what was really going on in the tech world and what was going to be a, the history of the personal computer and everything like that. But I just think it's so funny because I don't think Jeff Bridges... Well, admittedly, in the interviews he's done, he didn't know what he was talking about. None of the actors did. In I don't terms think of any the of the writers language. did. Yeah. No, because that's that thing, too. For me personally, and I know, like, like, I see what you're saying, Michael, as far as, like, story is concerned. But for me, conceptually, I don't think there has been a movie as far out as Tron. Even to this day, I was even thinking about what Ready Player One is ready to come out. Mm -hmm. If Tron would come out today, it's further out there than Ready Player One is. Because yeah. conceptually, you know, like in Ready Player One, they are their avatars and they appear in the computer world and they're able to, you know, work together and play games and stuff like that. Which That's pretty much real life. That's exactly, what we do Well, right almost. Yeah. We're not quite to that point yet. But so people are like, whoa, it's so amazing. But Tron is so far beyond that concept. There was no such thing as the internet, at least not to popular understanding back then. Right. So different programs connecting through different computers, there's no frame of reference for that. That, that didn't make any sense back in 1982. So the human gets transported into the computer world where the way that the human brain understands the computer world is he sees programs in the form of the people that programmed it. So when he runs into Ram, Ram is not actually the avatar of the person. Ram is a program that has the name of his writer. And then you take it to the other level. So on one level, you've got this whole toy story, like what are our programs doing when we're not using them? And so it's like the Microsoft Word program, for example, he would be known as like Mike or something. And he would look like <laughs> Bill Gates or whoever invented Microsoft Word. And when he's not doing that, does he wonder like, I don't know, you know, like I'm kind of bored with just typing up these things or is that what he's designed to do? And then all of a sudden master program comes along and starts reprogramming these programs. So imagine a program that tries to take Microsoft Word and make it calculate missile command programs or something. Microsoft Word could probably do it, but it would be like, well, that's not really what I'm designed to do. For me, where it catapults into the realm of mind blowing is that then all of the programs, one, they start developing or they have these personalities. And so they start questioning the existence of users because to them, users are like their gods, the ones that created them. And the master program is saying like, no, there's no such thing as users. You were not created. Like you've just always been, you're designed to do what I tell you to do. And so there's this myth of there may be users out there and some people believe in the users and some people don't believe in the users. And so still for me, what brings tears to my eyes every single time in the first movie where Ram lays dying and he looks up at Flynn and when Flynn tells him, I'm a user, that look on his face is, I am staring into the face of God right now. And that's, oh, yeah. it's phenomenal. And it's just like, again, nothing. I've never seen anything like that first Tron. 
Well, and I have to tell you, for me, the star of the film, as far as performance, is Ram. I mean, he's such a lovable screen presence. He's written better than any other characters. And he even, like you said, he has his Oscar moment with Flynn, you know, his dying words, help Tron. But that actor, Dan Shore, he's just great. And one of the things I didn't know until researching for the show... He also played Billy the Kid in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> That's Ram. And I was like, there what? That's crazy. Yeah. Although so I do have to say, to add to that, Adam, for me personally, every time I watch it, I don't know that there's more of a badass character in all of movies than Tron. And it's that thing that he doesn't need to be doing flips like Yoda does in the prequels or something like that. His one line at the end where he says, you know, you forgot something, Sark. I'm better than you are. And then he slices his head open. That's the most awesome scene of all time. That's so butt kicking. I feel man. like that's the one moment for him though. Cause that's the other issue. Cause I think I agree. Needs, though. Oh, but Jeff, so awesome about Tron. Conceptually, you are correct. There's a lot of great ideas and perspective you could take from Tron, but the film itself, it does like we were starting to get into, it doesn't focus on any one main story. It feels like you have two hero stories going on because you have Flynn going into the computer on his own little mission. And then you have Tron, who is the titular hero, but all you know is he has to talk to Alan One, he says, right? My user has a program that can make this a free system again. He's doing all that. So those things are going on. And he and Flynn, you know, they are working together, but it doesn't seem like they're 100% on the same side, even when Flynn kisses Tron's girl. Like, what's up with that, dude? That's not right. cool. Well, because again... Know? But picture what Tron is. Tron is a pro- basically by our like understanding today, Tron's an antivirus program. Is and it the MCP designed- is, the, is a virus? Exactly. He's designed to seek out any programs that are not functioning as they should and to correct it. So he has to go to Alan One, his user, and he has to get a virus update so that he can you know destroy this one virus. And so yeah, he really doesn't care about anybody else because he's not programmed to. It is kind of weird. I will admit that the whole like relationship thing, that's a little weird. I don't quite know how you justify that. But for me, I give them enough credit that I'm like, I feel like I'm not smart enough to comprehend it then. That's not on them. (laughs) That's on me. Because everything else, they seem to have, you know, gone four steps beyond me. Oh, come on. Don't discredit yourself that much there. That's right, Jeff. If uh, the movie well, does that to you, maybe this to be movie honest, is the villain. I don't think so. <laughs> I, let's 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 have a slice of humility here, folks. That Because that was the thing, too, even as, as we're writing this sequel, if there has ever been a movie that I have felt more unqualified to write a sequel for, it's probably this. Because <laughs> I know the guys that wrote Tron is that when they would do a sequel, it would be so far beyond anything we could comprehend hand that we would just be like i mean like like when we get into if we start talking about legacy isometric life forms is a mind-boggling concept if you yeah. really think about it. no it's yes true. your reverence I'm for this franchise <laughs> well see because here's here's the main issue is i feel like films have to pull you in not philosophically they need to connect you to a character and for me it's very difficult because tron slash alan it's like a humorless wet blanket on in the real world yeah. and on the grid. You're and right. then Flynn, very flat. Very, yeah, very Flynn, flat. as portrayed by Jeff Bridges, needs to be on medication because well, he's definitely bipolar. Right. There could also be, I wonder, like with studios and like this is a this is still a Disney film in the 80s. 
So when Disney was looking at this and they're like, okay, here's the concept. They're going to go inside a machine. And then even though, did you guys, and I don't, especially if you guys know the computer nerds or whatever, is that the opening sequence where Flynn's program that he's written Clue, which is basically a, what do you call it? A worm virus. It's supposed to seek through to find this one piece of information. It's buddy that follows along with him is called Bit. Yeah. And all it can say is yes and no, because the fundamental core of all computers is binary. One, zero, zero, one, zero, one, zero, one meaning yes and zero meaning no. Even that, like programming jokes are so layered into this. So you're going to pitch this to Disney and Disney's going to be like, um, well, how about a love story? Or <laughs> how about we make this a movie where a guy gets sucked into a machine and then he needs to escape? And that is you can kind of sum up the movie by calling it that. I think it sells it short, but I feel like they might have even had to slap that on to kind of appease the high ups. Jeff Bridges also was like, I didn't understand it, but it was such a far out concept that I knew I wanted to be a part of it. That's why everybody else signed on. Oh, Jeff Bridges is a part of this. Oh, okay, well, we'll give it some credence, at least as a, give it a chance. But also Disney hadn't really had a lot of success, especially in live action. The decade prior, really, they were not a big name studio anymore. They were kind of a forgotten entity. So they were taking a chance saying, well, we got to do something because this wasn't even developed inside Disney. This was this guy, Steven Lisberger, who had his own animation studio in Boston and just said, I have this idea for backlit animation with a character called Tron. I'm going to try to produce my own movie. Oh, I can't afford it. I'll shop it around. Ended up at Disney and they finally said, we don't know what you're talking about, but it's so innovative. We'll take the chance on you. And it's like a testimony too. I think not only to the movie itself, but just everybody that watches it seems to remember the light cycle scene. That's what everybody takes away from it. And it's literally like a three minute scene because it is yeah. visually so unlike anything that you've seen. But I will say just in comparison to the film, because Tron ultimately came to me after I bought it, the first disc, which is the feature, became my go-to film for sick days when I needed something to put me to sleep. So it's a very boring film, especially within the grid. There's like this low hum that lulls me to sleep. And so I'm like, okay, Tron for me is not my cup of tea. But the making of documentary is fascinating. I love the behind the scenes and how they put it all together. So, but then little did I know after getting the DVD that two years later, a sequel is being released in theaters. And all of a sudden I'm pumped because I like the concept. I didn't like the execution. But then I saw the preview for Tron Legend legacy and just the visual landscape they created the way they pushed things forward so far yeah. to the next level was amazing and i remember going there was an imax sneak preview night where wow. they released 23 minutes of footage ahead of right. time it was in an october jeremy did you go with me to that i'm trying I, to i was think... talking to all my friends at the time yeah. like i was like guys let's go let's go i don't know was that you and curtis and i that went to that I think it might have been because that night then I held a Tron party with a bunch of friends. I lit everything with black light bulbs. You know, we had glow stick jewelry that everybody wore. Yeah, I don't think I was at that. You didn't make that one. No, Sorry, I didn't make Jerry. that one. <laughs> got lost in the mail, your invitation. <laughs> you know, bad programming. But no, but like there were Tron themed snacks and drinks. And I made, I said that the party was sponsored by Encom, you know. So, and I tried to screen the original film for my friends and they got bored pretty quick. So mostly just everybody <laughs> started talking. But then 
the film itself was amazing. I saw it in IMAX 3D, then I went back, saw it in 2D, bought the Blu-ray immediately, and I've watched it countless times. I love it, love it, love it. So let's talk about this. Well, the two big ones, I mean, Lisberger and, and you know, some of the creators were de- had been pushing to get more Tron because they had more to to go. Like they, they wanted to make a sequel. They wanted to do more stuff. And the, the like champion has been Bruce Boxlander. To this day is still the one who is pushing. We got to keep Tron going. Every iteration of Tron that they've done, he's been a part of, whether it's been a voiceover in a cartoon or a comic book or, a, or not, well, voiceover in a comic book, in a, in a video <laughs> game. So from Tron, they were going to make Tron 2.0 into a movie, but it didn't get picked up. So instead they turned it into a video game where uh, these terrorists are trying to take over NCOM so they infect the grid with a virus. And then you are like a security guard or something like that at NCOM, and you have to end up jumping into the grid to go fight this virus and stuff like that. And then when Legacy came out, then they did a Tron Evolution, which is the video game that it connects the story to right before Tron Legacy begins. So you actually play through Clue's Takeover. That's the part of the game that you play. And then uh, for me, what really puts it over the top, one of the best things they've done is Tron Uprising, which was the cartoon show, which right. came out afterwards, but was about the people believing that Tron was going to free them from the oppression of Clue. And Elijah Wood did the voice of the big character of that, right? Yeah, well, there was so many voices. Elijah Wood was in that one. Of course, Bruce Boxlander was in that. Uh, Jesse from uh, Breaking Bad was a voice on it. Carl from Family Matters was was a voice on that one. Andy, Reginald Vell Johnson? Was, yeah, was... Reginald Vell Johnson is a voice on it. Donald Faison. It's yeah. just Pee Wee Herman does a voice. He's one of the bad guys. Lance Henriksen is one of the main bad guys. David Arquette makes a cameo. <laughs> well, so now you said, Michael, that Tron Legacy was your entry in. So what was it about the hype or the promotion or the trailer? What brought you then to want to see that film? Honestly, I remember the trailer and the trailer was just so visual. I was like, oh, my God, this is something like I'd never seen before. And I, and I thought it could be like the next Matrix kind of a movie. And I was like fascinated by it. And I really couldn't wait to see it. And I saw it in IMAX 3D also. And I was obsessed i was hooked from the word go all the way to the end. i saw it twice in the theater and i don't often see movies more than once in the theater i too when the blu-ray came out i bought the blu-ray right away i just thought it was a great movie start to finish minus one or two little issues but i just thought it was a fantastic movie and poster and you know the costumes yeah i mean i remember you know actually like Tron, just the architecture of it is interesting because literally the director Joseph Kaczynski is an architect. So like he he does like a lot of commercials and he's a director and all of that, but his background is in architecture. So they said that all of the work that he did to build the look of this world was literally using his degree, using his experience in architecture. It, it really shows, but I think it's so enhanced by the Daft Punk score. Yeah. Uh, 
It is my preferred movie soundtrack. It is what I listen to when I read comic books. So I've listened to the soundtrack thousands of times. Excellent choice. And my son, he loves D-Rezzed, which they did a music video for. Where there's this like jousting scene and all of that. And he calls it the horsey game song because (laughs) from the ages of two to four, we watch that music video over and over again. And he is like put on costumes and he always, let's play the horsey game. And we reenact it ad nauseum. (laughs) So, and even like I got to go to uh, RetroCon, they did a cosplay costume competition. The winners were Tron outfits that they had made and they had all the piping that lit up and they could change the color of it. And then I was able to buy him a clue action figure, a little die cast light cycle, you know, so it's, it's big at our house. But Jeff, this is what I'm curious for you, because this, in my opinion, is the rare sequel that improves over the original. I said it in the same category. It's like Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight, Spider-Man 2. In terms of taking existing concept to its next logical stage in a more entertaining way than its initial outing. How do you feel about that? Um, the way that you said it, I will disagree with. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that the two problems that I think people had with the original Tron is that it wasn't an action movie and they wanted it to be an action movie. They wanted, like we talked about, everyone loved the light cycle sequence, but it was only about three minutes long. Yeah, I can see that. And so this one was an action movie. It was way more action than it was story. And that was the goal. And then the second thing was, is that again, I still believe that that first Tron is maybe the highest concept film ever made. Uh, Well, the highest concept mainstream film ever made. And that was what lost a lot of people. Like we talked about that whole concept, even today, viewing programs on our computer as as people that you could interact with, we still can't wrap our mind around that. So this took it down a notch. None of the programs really had personalities other than the crazy bar owner guy. But there was, you know, it was mostly just the ISOs and the humans. And then everybody else was kind of like robots almost. And they did still push the envelope like we were talking about with the isometrics, but, but not quite as far. And I feel like they created a situation where you could kind of dis and even the people that I've talked to about Tron legacy generally end up dismissing the ISOs as either. So you're talking about sentient programs, right? No, no, not well, okay. No, you're talking about artificial intelligence, right? No, no, oh, okay. <laughs> but you can dismiss it kind of like with the first Matrix movie. The first Matrix movie was accessible enough that you could dismiss the things that you didn't understand. So I think they did both of those very well visually. And I think I know Adam, you were the one that turned me on to um, uh, D Box. This was the first movie I saw in D Box. Should have been the only movie I ever saw in D Box because it was a phenomenal movie going experience if you've never done dbox it's the one with the motion seats yeah. and to see this in 3d with motion seats was you're right in the in the movie itself so yeah i thought for those reasons it did what it needed to do the one thing i will point out that we kind of possibly misrepresented at the beginning that we said tron was a box office failure that's not true it actually made four times as much as fast and the furious did the problem was is that it didn't do as well internationally it only made what 228 million international which is usually where everybody makes their tons of money but tron actually made 400 million dollars in north america The problem was that then shortly thereafter, Tomorrowland tanked 
And that made Disney feel like they couldn't pull off Tron 3. And we'll get into that. But I know, Michael, you've alluded to just a few shortcomings that Tron Legacy has. You know, like Jeff brought up some good points there. To me, I just feel like they have an actual emotional story, the father and the son story, the clue struggling against fulfilling his destiny that as his programmer created him to do, he's just trying to do his job, all those types of things. But what is something that you would pinpoint, Michael, that you feel maybe they missed the mark on with this? There's two problems, I feel. Problem number one is if Korra is the last ISO, what makes her so significant? What makes being an ISO so special? They don't illustrate that. They don't show what gives her power and makes her stand out. That's problem number one. And problem number two is at the end of the movie, all we find out is that this world we were just in for an hour and a half is only inside of a small computer inside of a basement of an of an arcade. It should have been that what Kevin Flynn created was the internet, and the programs are trying to break free and take over. And that's what Clue is. He's trying to make a more perfect internet in in theory, but it just it, all it is is inside of this small little basement room inside of a single computer, and that's it. That's where it falls short. If it was the internet was the big reveal at the end. I think everyone would have been like, oh my God, like this is crazy. This is mind blowing. What is Clue's plan? He says we are out there is our destiny, but he doesn't really know what's there because like right. you said, yeah, he's he's been enclosed. And that was actually something I didn't understand until I watched the special features for Tron Legacy is that they're literally saying, no, this was just Flynn's computer and it got left alone for you know, 20 odd years. And now this is the computer itself having an evolution. It's actually, you know, things are growing and changing inside the computer on their own. And that was supposed to be the amazing thing with the ISOs and everything else that there, that's what was happening. But uh, yeah, like you would think the scale of it would be much bigger. Cause even in the first one, right. Even though they didn't focus on it and come back to it, that's what the MCP was trying to do was right. try to get out there and take control of the well, world. So in the first one, they did flash back and forth to like Dillinger in the office. And when he gets cut off and like, they yeah, did, but Dillinger there was a only little cared about getting caught. Ultimately, I feel <laughs> well, like, well, that, that yeah, the, yeah the that's true. But he had to like, out, I stole a video game. <laughs> well, no, it was when he started saying that, like, my target is the Pentagon and That's blah, true, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and that was the one thing that I felt like they didn't, which, again, and I don't want to bash on on Legacy and make it sound like I don't think it was it was awesome. It was awesome. It's just yeah. kind of when you're talking about it surpassing Tron, it's different than Tron. It's like comparing Alien and Aliens. Like, these are different films that I, I don't think that works well to say one is superior to the other. But, like, the one thing, like, for me with Clue that I think would have been really interesting is that Clue, and there's a little bit of that in some of his dialogue, Clue's not a villain. I mean, Clue is doing exactly what he was designed to do. He was designed to make a perfect system. And so, consequently, anything that is not perfect doesn't fit in with his programming. That's why the ISOs, as life forms, are naturally not going to be perfect, and so that's why he needs to eliminate them. So his idea, now he gets a glimpse into the human world, and Lord knows we're not, you know, there's no perfection around here anywhere. Then it's kind of like, you know, his, oh my gosh, I've got a lot of work to do where he's going to, you know, go and make us a perfect system, which means getting rid of all of us, so... 
Yeah, uh, and, and I think that you know, like you said, I mean, it's it's a very relatable story. It feels like on that you could see where Clue again when we talk about what's a good villain, it's something you talk about a lot in superhero movies or whatever. It's the one who doesn't see themselves as, as a villain, and then as an audience, we can also understand their point of view. And I right. think it's nice also that Flynn mentions that he's like, look, it's my fault. Because at the time when I created him, that's his point of reference. And my point of view was thinking you needed to create a perfect system. Right. And that was not how it should be. And that's not how the world is and blah, blah, blah. So I think, again, like it gets into these philosophical discussions, but it's much more relatable things we can connect to. Yeah. But I thought, Michael, you were going to bring up what is the main failing of the film. It's called Young Flynn's Face. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Called- I let that slide because after the mustache fiasco with Justice League. What what they did in 2010 for Jeff Bridges is far better than what happened in 2017 with Justice League. So I let that right. Or or even Rogue One and Grand Moff Tarkin and being the animated thing that just didn't look quite right. Well, come on. We've got, we've had young Michael Douglas and also young Robert Downey Jr. since. Oh yeah, that didn't go well either. I didn't think that went well at all. In, it's in, got uh, shades. Civil War. Right. It's a tough challenge. And I mean, especially because it's such a major character. For me, I didn't find it distracting personally. Like I was I was willing, especially because this is a program. Yeah, if he looks look right. a little more animated. Well, I, see, yeah. that that's that's where I feel like with Clue, it's 100% fine. Because yes, he was a program. But the problem right. is they keep doing flashbacks to where you see Flynn and Clue and Tron together and all that yeah. kind of stuff stuff and that's where you're like uh like why does Flynn look like a program again he's in on the grid so you could make that justification but the opening of the film is him in the real world talking to Sam and he looks the same and you're just like that smooth face and the awkward mouth movements however the one thing that I've come to forgive it for over all this time is that Jeff Bridges has a weird mouth thing. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but he talks really weird. He protrudes and whatever. So the fact that the mouth is strange, I almost don't think it was the uncanny valley. I think it's just a Jeff Bridges thing. And so we just got to say, okay, it was what the, the canvas they were working with. That's what they had to do. If you do get a chance to play Tron Evolution, the, the opening of the game is young Flynn talking into like a camera or something like that. And it's basically that same rendering it just yeah it's just kind of weird and yeah you're right his mouth doesn't quite move but i guess yeah trying to replicate jeff bridges is peculiar and so yeah we haven't gotten a tron 3 at this point and like you said with tomorrowland tanking so these live action disney films in that vein they're concerned with i don't know why they thought tomorrowland was going to be successful man i didn't want to see it i don't know who did but uh, yeah, uh, I would agree on that. Well, yeah. Brad Bird and George Clooney, those oh, are big gosh. names who have had yeah, success. What but, were they yeah. do? I mean, like the <laughs> premise. Anyway, ironically, Beauty and the Beast came out and made a billion dollars. And so they're like, okay, so we've got on one hand Tron that can make us 400 million or Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and everything else that will make us a billion dollars. We'll chase the money. So it's just taking known properties. Yeah. We'll do all our animated films, live action. We cash out. We're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's also partly that. And I read a few articles online. It's 
because now Disney owns Marvel and Star oh. Wars. They're cash cows, so... <laughs> what Tron a baby is Tron like a... for, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, they, they say that Jared Leto, he's considering some sort of spinoff that would work <laughs> from the Tron 3 script that they were considering, so maybe someday down the line some star power can, can work us into that. But in the meantime, you're going to have to settle for us. So... <laughs> I think it's only fair that we discuss what is the future of the grid. Where do you take Tron from here? How do we correct some passing consistencies? How do we focus the direction of this franchise? So, Michael, why don't you give it to us? All right, here we go. So my story is Tron Infinity, and our story picks up exactly where we left off in Tron Legacy. Sam and Cora are driving on Sam's Ducati to his apartment. He receives a message on his computer to go to his childhood home. As they arrive, the lights and power seem to turn on without warning, and they illuminate a path towards something. Sam and Cora follow the path to Kevin's old home office. Upon entering the room, an old CRT TV turns on, a news broadcast comes on that the NCOM OS 12 operating system that is now out for all to access is giving reports that anyone who's downloaded it, their computers begin to go haywire. All their personal information, banking, social security numbers, internet search history, everything becomes exposed. Senators, congressmen, governors, politicians all alike are having all their illegal deals and corrupt tactics shared to the authorities. In all the reports, notification is that this strange MCP or master control program has been installed on all of their connected devices and has assumed control in order to form a more perfect system. Sam begins to panic because he is the one who leaked the operating system out to the internet. He begins to tear his father's office apart looking for whatever he was sent to find. Cora relives a memory which will send us into a flashback of older Kevin back in the grid describing his home office and a particular photo of him and Sam having a catch in the yard. She walks over to the picture and turns it over, removes the back, and inside there's a message that says, go to where it all began. He now remembers the story of his father telling him that the grid is where the master control program came from and he had to go to Laura's office. As they leave, Cora sees Kevin's Ducati and she begins to examine it. She quickly is able to diagnose whatever's wrong with it and using energy that forges from her hands and her mind, she's able to repair the motorcycle within moments. Sam stands there in awe. To this point, he has never seen or known what power Cora would have in the real world. She climbs onto Kevin's bike and, and Sam climbs onto his and they drive off to NCOM. They arrive at the back entrance of NCOM. Sam begins to decode the door, but his device is not working. He realizes that the company has reconfigured its security protocols and blocked his access. Cora touches the control panel. Her eyes go white for a moment, and the door begins to open. Her first words are, that's a really big door. The two begin to sneak through the building and to Laura's workstation. Cora has been able to manipulate all the security fees to block the guards from knowing of their presence in the building. The two reach Laura's desk. Sam examines the grid gun. This is the prototype original grid gun from the first Tron. He jumps into Laura's computer and begins to start trying to access the OS 12 core source code. Just as he begins to dissect the code, Laura appears. She asks Sam what he's doing and inquires who Cora is. 
she seems very angry. She knows that Sam leaked the operating system and unleashed the MCP on the world. She reveals to Sam and Cora that Kevin never realized what the grid actually was before he disappeared. Kevin invented the internet. And it was Alan and Laura's job in the real world to protect the world from letting the grid and the MCP out and causing destruction that it's been causing since OS 12 got released. The MCP is the very first existence of true artificial intelligence, and Alan has been on the board of ENCOM for all these years to prevent the board from uh, reinstituting the MCP. Sam can't understand how he was how it was implanted into OS 12. Laura instructs Sam and, and Cora to go to Kevin's office. Sam tries to access Kevin's office, but the retina display is not letting him access his eye. Cora looks at the retina scan and the door opens. Sam looks at her confused and doesn't understand how she could possibly manipulate all these different devices. Inside Kevin's office, seemingly untouched since Kevin disappeared decades ago, Sam works to gain access to Kevin's files. Cora examines the office. She's looking all over Kevin's history outside the grid. Then Ed Dillinger, which was played by Cillian Murphy in Tron Legacy, uh, the son of disgraced Edward Dillinger, appears from the shadows. He says he was the one who embedded the master control program into OS 12 as a way to punish ENCOM and the legacy of Kevin Flynn for what they did to his father. He reveals that Edward Dillinger could not live with the, with the shame of what happened, and he committed suicide. Ed knew that Sam was too much of a wild card and would release OS 12 to the world for free, and Ed wanted it to happen. Sam reaches under his desk to press the security button. As he's about to do that, uh, you hear a click in the distance, and he looks up and he sees Ed holding a gun to the back of Cora's head. Cora looks at Sam concerned and scared to move. She's never seen or heard a gun before. Sam tries to keep her calm and, and try to calm down Ed and talk him down. He tells her to not make any sudden moves. He, he asks Ed to tell him what he wants. Ed tells Sam that he wants to get inside the grid. Sam tries to convince Ed that it's not possible. Ed states that he needs to fix, to find and fix the Sark program his father's program in order to fully unleash the MCP to all devices, whether they have OS 12 or not. The master control program needs to fully integrate with all devices in order to finally take control and create a perfect system for the internet. Ed knows that the grid gun at the ENCOM is the only way to access the old system, but he needs to have Kevin have Kevin's gun that goes into the current system of the grid. Sam agrees to take him to the gun and even though Cora tries to talk him down out of it, the three climb into a black SUV and drive to Flynn's arcade. There Sam shows Ed the secret passage to the grid computer and the grid gun. Sam types in a 10 digit number followed by a series of other numbers. Nothing happens. Sam tries to type the 10 digit numbers again. Nothing happens. Sam looks confused. Ed begins to grow impatient. Ed presses the gun to the back of uh, to Cora's back. Meanwhile, Alan, sitting at home in his desk, has his beeper going off and vibrating continuously. He grabs his coat and glasses and jumps in his car. Back of the grid computer, 
Ed is yelling at Sam to hurry up and start the machine. Cora looks around to see if she can find anything she can take over, take control of, to take get control of the situation. Sam sees Ed growing more and more impatient. Cora tells him to start the gun. He complies and the grid gun ter- begins to turn on. Ed starts to lower his weapon as he's distracted by watching the gun warm up. Cora quickly turns and grabs Ed's wrist, pushing it up to try to disarm him. The gun goes off, shooting the ceiling, and a bullet ricochets down and hits the computer. There is a struggle. Sam tells them that that he's never had three people enter the grid before. They don't know what's going to happen with their molecular structures. Just then, Alan appears. Ed turns and points the gun at him. Sam throws himself at Ed, knocking him down and, and smashing his head into a concrete wall. Ed gets knocked unconscious. Cora helps Sam, Sam stand up. The grid gun's still warming up. Sam runs over to the computer to try to deactivate it. The first bullet ricocheted and damaged part of the controls, making it unable to shut down. Alan comes over to try and input his override code. The codes aren't working. The gun fires, hitting Sam, Cora, and Alan, and they vanish into the grid. We now find Sam, Cora, and Alan inside the grid. It feels different from when Sam and Cora left, though in their minds it's only been a couple of days. Sam and Cora have re-emerged in their new grid clothes. Both Sam and Cora have their discs. Cora is still holding Kevin's disc. Zeus and Jem greet Sam and Cora. He Zeus has reassumed his original identity and has a new look. Jem looks the same, although in a black attire versus the white attire she had before. Zeus informs Sam that the creator has been expecting them. Jem turns to Alan and says, Tron, you've aged. Alan looks confused and shocked that Tron still exists. Jem and her sirens dress Sam and Cora and Alan in new attire for the new grid. The sirens inform them that they are royalty and grab their new guard. Sam and Cora are dressed in now blue uniforms as they are warriors of the light and Alan is dressed in all white as he is part of the original creators and is a god to the programs. They they are brought to the creator, Kevin, who is seen meditating, floating off the ground. His his eyes open as he turns to his son, Cora, and Alan. Sam seems shocked to see him, and as we last saw, he looked like he was killed when he re-merged with Clue. Kevin explains that the law of conservation of mass, or principle of mass conservation, states that any system closed from all transfers, matter of energy, mass cannot be destroyed, it can only be repurposed. Hence why he's been reformed in this new form, because matter is infinite. Sam and Cora run to hug Kevin. Kevin walks to Alan. He looks at Alan in the eye and says, you got old. Alan grins and says the same. The two men hug. Kevin tells the three that Ed Dillinger and his algorithm, Sark 2.0, which was embedded in the NCOM OS 12, released the master control program from its energy prison that Kevin has been controlling all this time. During the time that Kevin was trying to reconstitute himself and the, in the physical form, the MCP and Sark 2.0 have started to wreak havoc on the grid and in the real world. Kevin explains that he is rejoining with Clue 
in the grid and was able to recreate a more utopian image of the society. Sam tells his father that he doesn't realize what the grid really is and that the grid is actually the internet and it is for all the world to use. And Kevin, as the creator, unknowingly was allowing much of the evils of the grid out into the real world. Cora asks him why she has these new abilities in the real world. And Kevin tells her that as the last ISO, she was already embedded with gifts that can manipulate technology. But when she went through the portal and merged with Kevin's disk, she was downloaded with all of his knowledge. Cora is no longer a program nor a human. She is something more. Alan asks Kevin what happened to Tron. Kevin tells Alan that during the battle with Clue, Tron fell into the Eternal River, and they've been looking for him ever since. He needs to find Tron in order to stop the MCP and from taking over all technology in the real world and needs Tron to, as the protector of the user. Kevin tells Sam and Cora that they must find Sark 2.0 and destroy him. Kevin asks Alan to come with him to find Tron and repair him. They agree. Zeus outfits Cora and Sam with new light cycles and they take off. Kevin and Alan climb into a light wing jet. Zeus and Jem are talking to Sam and Cora over the comm systems on their light cycles. They inform the pair where Sark 2.0 is. Sam and Cora reach a huge red tower of Sark and they battle all these guards from the bottom up. Cora is fighting faster and more agile than before. She is able to manipulate the environment to her will by using just her thoughts. Sam is faster and can defy gravity. They both seem to be able to almost predict the moves of their opponents before they're happening. When they reach the top of the tower, they are greeted by the old Sark program and Sark 2.0. Sam looks confused as he sees them looking to appear like Edward Dillinger Sr. and Ed Dillinger. He calls them by their user's name. They both look surprised to hear those names out loud. Sark calls out to Yuri and Yuri 2.0. Two female programs, Yuri, now older, and Yuri 2.0, or Yuris, appears younger and more vibrant. Sark 2.0 and Yuris attack Sam and Korra. These two programs are different from all the others and they, that they fought earlier. They too seem to be able to, to anticipate the moves of their opponents. The battle is intense. Kevin and Alan search the internal river for Tron. Alan feels drawn to a certain location. The two men then see a light from beneath the water. Kevin uses all of his strength to pull Tron out from under the water. He raises him to the light wing. Alan places his hand on Tron's chest. His energy is feeding Tron to fully power him up. Tron looks at Alan and says, Alan won, I am Tron. You programmed me to fight for the user. What do you need me to do? Kevin and Alan explain that the MCP is returned and he must be destroyed. Tron agrees and the three take off to fight the MCP and save the real world. Sam and Korra are still in a heated battle with Sark 2.0 and Eurus. Kevin, Alan, and Tron arrive to join the fight. Tron begins to help Sam and Korra in the fight. Alan and, and Kevin see Yuri in the distance. They run to her. Sark has her under some sort of override pro protocol. She does not remember Kevin. Kevin uses his energy as the creator to see Yuri's source code and he finds the bug and pulls it out of her. An army of soldier programs converges on our heroes. Sam, Korra, and Tron try to hold them off. 
Kevin and Yuri face off against Sark and Sark 2.0 in the battle as it's spreading rapidly like a virus. Kevin and Yuri grab hands and appear to go into some sort of trance-like state. An energy field builds around them. They both turn and look at the Sarks. An energy blast shoots from their eyes, vaporizing the Sarks into binary code. Kevin and Yuri reach out and absorb the code, trapping it inside themselves to prevent them from reforming. Yuris and the rest of the program army stand frozen. Korra kneels to the ground and presses her fingers into the floor and vaporizes them. Now the team must face off against the MCP. They reach the beam that would allow the MCP to fully release into the real world. Tron looks at Alan. Alan knows what he must do. He turns to Kevin, Yuri, Sam, and Korra and says, We fight for the user. Tron and Alan merge with one another and take the disc and point it at the MCP and blast it. It appears that they are absorbing the MP MCP inside their own disc as it vanishes. Kevin, Yuri, and Tron 2.0 turn to Sam and Korra as they stand in the beam and get sent back to the real world. Back in Kevin's office at the Flynn's Arcade, Ed Dillinger, about to smash the grid gun, which would prevent anyone from entering or escaping the grid, Korra turns to him looks at the gun and using her mind points the grid at Ed she, using her powers she turns the, the weapon on and blasts Ed into the grid and tells him end of line <laughs> you kept us going there what'd uh, she I say know. what'd she say <laughs> Sam and Cora exchange a kiss fade to black and that's my story there it is <laughs> alright well Jeff, you want to take your uh, shot next? All right. I went along a similar route because Cillian Murphy had a quick cameo in Tron Legacy playing Ed Dillinger Jr. So he's supposed to be the son of the bad guy from the first one. So my movie, Tron Revolution, takes place in 2020. Sam's now been CEO of NCON for uh, 10 years. And he and Cora actually had a child. Their child's name is Deckard, who is now eight years old. Cora has been adjusting to life in the human world. She's still kind of unfamiliar with the way that humans interact and stuff like that, even though there are lots of similarities, obviously, to the grid. But she does convince Sam to let them escape back to the grid from time to time and takes Deckard along with them. Sam, his big movement, I guess, in becoming CEO is that he actually integrates the grid into NCOM, which then enables it to be much more, not only free, but also just much more uh, powerful. And so that he's able to do work actually through the grid and, and actually firsthand uh, programming, I suppose you could call it. Their son, which they call Deck, is in the third grade. And it's tough for him to adjust though, because go bouncing back from the human world to the grid sometimes he does end up making like some grid references to the other fellow third graders and that doesn't go over well uh but then there's an interesting thing that one time as a third grader they're kind of learning how to use tablets and as he's learning it he's doing it wrong and he says well it should work that way and then all of a sudden the teacher looks down and sees that now the tablet does work that way somehow so then we flash over to ncom and sam 
is actually dealing with a hostile takeover. We find out that behind the scenes, Ed Dillinger Jr. is secretly working to sabotage Encom so that he is going to be part of the hostile takeover because he still works for Encom, so he's kind of working from the inside. Anyway, so on the grid, though, uh, as you know, Cora and Sam and, and Deck go onto the grid, they're also noticing that programs have started disappearing. So people are getting scared, but it is giving rise to this whole Tron Lives movement. So again and again and again, they're seeing these signs that say Tron Lives, Tron Lives, despite the fact that Sam and Cora know that Tron is dead. So Sam keeps investigating uh, where all these programs are going and eventually finds out that these programs are being rewritten into what appears to be soldier programs. And it seems like their goal must be to take over and conquer the grid. And as he's spying, he notices someone that looks suspiciously like an old enemy of his father's, Sark, but has the face of Ed Dillinger Jr. So he calls this Sark 2.0. So Sam, back in the real world, asks Alan to rewrite Tron to help them protect the grid from corruption. So Alan, though he is, you know, essentially retired at this point, does rewrite Tron, but because he's kind of been out of the game, Tron is just not as powerful as he was before. So Tron goes in to do his normal thing and take out all of these corrupted programs, and they defeat him easily. And in fact, not only do they defeat him easily, but it's a very public defeat. So all of these programs are so excited to see Tron. They've been saying Tron lives forever, and then they see Tron and they see Tron defeated. So meanwhile, in the human world, Deck has been telling Korra some of these things. Even though he's not on the grid, he's telling Korra what's been happening with Tron and what's been happening with Sam. And he's the one that kind of comes up with this nickname for, I hadn't figured it out, like I'm, you know, I have to talk to a third grader to figure out a, whatever he would call Sark 2.0, what his little nickname for it would be. It seems like he's actually having flashes of what's going on inside the grid, despite the fact that he's not actually connected to it. So Cora's kind of freaking out about that. So she ends up telling Sam about this and saying, we need to go into the grid. He kind of doesn't want to because it's becoming a hostile place, but saying that it's important. So they end up meeting up with Dumont from the first movie. And Dumont, who is kind of this, like he's been around since the beginning. He's one of the oldest programs there. So he's very wise. And not only that, the program's job was to coordinate communications from the outside world. So he understands both the human world and the grid and looks at Deck and explains to, to Sam and Cora that it must be because Deckard is part human and part ISO, he is actually the link between the grid and the human world. And potentially, he would have the ability to manipulate the grid at will. So Sam, with Cora and Tron, take Deckard uh, in order to raise the programs against Sark to kind of raise this revolt because they have this child that can lead them that actually has these abilities. And so with his abilities, again, he's able to kind of manipulate the grid just by force of will. So he ends up repowering Tron to make Tron powerful again. So he goes and he battles Sark. I would see this, there would be like a potentially like huge battle sequence where they're raising a revolt. And so then all of these programs, they would have deck on their side. So that would be the biggest thing. So anyway, he repowers Tron. Tron ends up fighting against Sark and he defeats Sark relatively easily. But once he does, then as Sark lays there defeated, all of a sudden he closes his eyes and then one of the captured programs turns into Sark. He rewrites himself onto a captured program. Tron defeats that person, does it again to two more. And so it's just convincing him like, you'll never win because I am unstoppable. 
And that's when Deck then, basically this ultimate show of power, rewrites the entire grid to eliminate Sark entirely out from the grid. And the way he's able to do that is he connects the grid to the internet. And what that does is it ends up opening up the entire ability to you know enter into the grid and this entire world is now open to our entire world and now that you know they truly have this free and open world that they've always been striving for then deck in kind of a moment of childlike wisdom i guess you know he says you know dad i could rewrite grandpa if you want and i could bring him back here and that's obviously a really like that's that really strikes a chord for sam and then sam ends up landing on the thing of like, no, he's gone. And, and we it's best to just to let him go. It wouldn't be the same. I would see this final shot of them kind of looking at, kind of like they did in the first movie where all of the IO towers were all opening as the, the world became open again. It would be something like that. So we would have connections coming in from all over the world as the, the grid has been opened, as credits roll. All righty. Well, Adam, take it away. It's pretty interesting because we're all circling a lot of similar themes, but my film is Tron De-Resurrection. So it's been five years since Sam Flynn brought Korra out from the grid into the real world. And in that time, the focus of Encom has shifted from software and they have used Korra's unique isophysiology to help advance medical technology in the treatment of cancer, Alzheimer's, and more debilitating diseases, just as Kevin Flid had told Sam that Cora would be the key to. So, though Cora has to return to the grid every six months to reestablish her connection or risk deteriorating in the real world, so they go back and forth quite a bit. Now, these medical miracles have been accomplished by connecting people to programs in the grid who act as nanobots that stimulate the growth of healthy cells and replace the damaged ones. And these medics monitor the health of their patients 24 hours a day, acting like super white blood cells that also fed off further infestation of disease. And this is essentially allowing people with enough money to become immortal. And there's some political and relig religious opposition to NCOM's procedures. So assisting Sam and Cora in this research is Edward Dillinger Jr., a.k.a. Eddie, who works himself day and night on the medic's programs to atone for the sins of his father. And Eddie has been campaigning to join Sam and Cora on their trips to the grid, but it's been denied access up to this point. But finally relenting, they bring Eddie along and he is enraptured by the beauty of this digital world. And it's on this trip that the secret of the medics is revealed to Eddie because Sam and Cora show him that one of the programs that he was developing uh, was actually resurrecting programs that had been derezzed by Clue and even going back to the early days of the grid in the master control program and Eddie is disturbed by the idea of these zombie programs walking around because he meets them and then they're, they're in this perpetually happy state but then he mentions that he wishes that this technology had been around when his own father was uh, coming to cancer a decade prior and regretting some of his life choices so heading up the medics program is our old friend Ram 
of course, a cohort of Tron and Kevin Flynn from the old system. And he's very chipper, seems to brush off any negativity to the medics program immediately. When he's asked if the rebel faction who still believed in Clue's vision of escaping the grid to perfect the outer world have been a problem, he's vague about the uprising subsiding. Uh, so we also learned that Tron was philosophically opposed to the de-resurrection process, believing that no program could come back from death completely unaffected. And he knows this because he's still struggling himself with overcoming Clue's control for all the, that time. So Tron has been on a journey to find Kevin Flynn, who he believes is still alive somewhere on the grid, and will be able to convince Sam and Cora of the era of their ways. So... At one point, Eddie slips away from his co-workers to explore the wonders of the grid for himself and runs into a cute program named Kiara. And learning that Ed is a user, she expresses her doubts about the medics program, wondering why her life should be spent saving people from another world she'll never know or even get a thank you from. And Edward is so enamored with Kiara that he agrees to show her the outer world someday so that she can learn to love humanity and spread it to the rest of the grid. So, shortly after returning to the real world, Cora and Sam go off to an international conference to hopefully introduce the medics program to the rest of the world, while Eddie stays behind to keep an eye on things. Of course, Eddie returns to the grid to get Kiara, shows her the real world, which she desperately wants to remain in. They go on a date, but Eddie decides to call it a night to do more work on a better solution for the medics that doesn't involve this de-resurrection. So... In that time, while he's working, Kiara secretly returns to the Incom lab and brings out her rebel leader, Ram. Ram reveals his hidden disdain for the users, citing the fact that Kevin Flynn could have saved him from his initial de-resing, but chose not to. It was only when Flynn's son needed mindless workers that he brought back to life all these programs and condemned them to a life of servitude for these fleshy gods. Rab says it was only through his de-resurrection that his eyes were opened. So after finding that Kiara has disappeared, Eddie's concerned. He decides to go back to the grid to find Tron, believing that he could help him locate her, not knowing that she's already in the real world. And Rab and his crew begin wreaking havoc with our now digitally dependent society, taking control of national defense systems, financial networks, and our precious social media. The Rebels' main plan is to take the Secretary of Defense hostage because he's fighting off a heart condition through the grid-connected medics program. So Ram's plan is to have the Secretary order a nuclear strike to eradicate humanity so that the programs are no longer enslaved. And so at this point, a further crisis arrives because now all those medics-dependent humans are being denied access to the grid because Ram's rebel forces are attacking the medics' programs that are taking care of them, so people are immediately falling ill. It's becoming this issue. Sam and Cora are informed of this while they're giving their presentation of this international group, and so they end up locating Ram, going to try and stop him, and all these... There's kind of all this... Uh, chaos going on meanwhile eddie and tron have made their way to the medics operating towers that are being attacked by these de-resurrected zombies that are on ram's side so tron at one point is nearly swayed to the side of these murderous rebels dealing with his own conflict and not agreeing with this whole program to begin with 
but he tries to convince them that the users are just misguided, not malevolent. There's no need for this violence. Eddie and Tron are then rescued by the Flynn Protocol, who's not actually Kevin Flynn, but is his essence preserved in an echo on the grid. And Tron and the Flynn Protocol have a conversation after they are able to subdue these violent factions. And basically, the Flynn Protocol reminds Tron that he fights for the users, not against them. Sometimes users just need a little bit more time to find their way. And ultimately, the Secretary of Defense is saved by Sam and Korra in the real world after a battle the Kiara and Ram. And they, using this portable grid laser that they use from time to time, they send Ram back to the grid. Return there, Ram sees that his forces are undone, so he is now going to just find a way to, to erase the grid entirely. He said, we'll just liberate everybody from slavery by liberating them from everything. You know, so he's just gone maniacal. He's gone crazy. But Eddie is there and he's just trying to disable uh, the coding that created the de-resurrection in the first place. Because that will, at this point, at least get rid of RAM. And so he is installing a new Sark program in the image of his father who can run the medics program alone. And Tron unfortunately is derezzed while sacrificing himself to save Eddie and buy him time when Kiara tries to sneak up and kill the user. And so at this point, Eddie manages to get the Sark 2.0 program up and running. Then as Ram is derezzing, he can't believe that a program would give their life for a user. And then at that point, after giving Sark 2.0 his mission, Eddie returns to the real world, meets with Sam and Korra, informing them that the medics defending humans are back online, but the de-resurrected are no more, and they need to find a new solution. And then this may be an end credit scene or just the final moments, but we return to the grid. We see Tron himself waking up as the Tron Protocol as an echo of himself, looking into the smiling face of the Flynn Protocol, who says, kids, huh? I think we better keep an eye on them, don't you think? So there you go. All right, well, it's time for the vote. Can we do, we've done this before, can we try and do, like, if we had to sum up your movie in one sentence or one phrase, the, the gist, like the main oomph of your movie... I'll, I'll go first, sure. In Tron Infinity, the operating system OS 12 unleashes the master control program on the world, and Sam and Cora need to go into the grid to stop it. All right. So then for Tron de-resurrection, now that humans are connected to the grid and enjoying the medical benefits of this, the programs that were brought back to life in order to provide this are rebelling led by ram there we go and then so for tron revolution ed dillinger jr has started to take over the grid in his attempt to be a hostile takeover sam and cora's son deckard uh, has the ability to oppose him and raises a revolution to stop him all right so take your vote there jeff <laughs> i bought a little time that's good um because it was tough especially with my affection for these to hear to hear Ram as the bad guy and Dillinger as the good guy, that was rough. That was pretty rough. Uh. I get I get the, the turning on there, but Cillian Murphy is a good guy. Like, oh my goodness. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough one, but I, I'm gonna go with Michaels. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> All right. Michael, where do you sit? Like I said, I took a lot of notes. 
And the thing I liked about Adams was that it, the 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 curing of the diseases that was a real big seller for me. Like that was really was a good concept. I also really liked a lot of things that that Jeff said about their son being able to manipulate the, the system. I have to go with Jeff. This could get interesting. So Adam, where does your vote lie? I loved, you know, Michael going back and getting Laura back in the picture because we were just like, where was Yuri? Where were, where was all of that? There was no mention of her, nothing in Tron Legacy. So that was good. You know, resurrecting in the MCP and getting all that, like, again, making him a real threat. But like just going to core concept, for me, the most exciting thing was, okay, this child this child of a program and, you know, a, a user and what does that mean and all that. I, I really was behind that idea. So I think I'm also going to have to vote for Jeff. Although that's an isometric life form. And if you, you know, I'd like to point that out. That is different. I was going to say, we got to dig deeper so I can understand what that means. Well, we, who knows? That's the point is that who knows what that means. All right, so we'll go with Jeff's pitch at this point. So where do we take this? How do we add to it? What can we flesh out? Well, the one thing that I would say, I also acknowledge that in today's day and age, making a movie like Tron, like you said, Adam, a lot of people aren't going to be tracking, you know, is that it's to, to it for it to be overly philosophical or, or high concept. They need a little bit more action to go along with it. And mine was a little thin on the action part. I mean, I would see a huge big action sequence at the end. Well, this, this was what I was wanting to understand again. So evil Dillinger, what was his plan again? There would be a company that was trying to take over income, um, which could easily be, I mean, that was the whole thing. Flynn's whole perspective was on open source and making stuff free to people so a company that was not like that would obviously have a lot more money and so that possibility of them doing a hostile takeover and buying up income so my thought was that dillinger was secretly working with them trying to sap because he was still employed by income so he's trying to sabotage income to get this other company because the other company had made him promises that you're going to be you know ceo or whatever Right. Because for me, this is where, because I was trying to say, okay, he's going to take over the company. Yes, he's going to turn it evil, whatever. It's all for his selfish motivations, whatever. What I think would be a really cool twist of this is that Dillinger should somehow know who Deckard is and understand the origins and all that. He figures all of that out, making the child and Cora, for that matter, property of income. So there is that struggle where he's like, I'm going to take them. They will belong to us. They are not human beings. They are, you know, like somehow trying to justify that and realizing Deckard's power and all of those types of things, I think would make it a really interesting struggle because, you know, again, he's treating these life forms, you know, yeah. as if they're not living. And then there's that kind of battle. And then I'm almost imagining, I mean, I, I was thinking of Akira with Deckard, like this child who has like this, you know, reality warping power type situation. <laughs> right. But I, I just thought you could get some pretty cool action set pieces or just these absolutely, you know, oh, yeah, if you want to even think like Dr. Strange, these kind of reality bending situations of what Deckard can accomplish. It was also a part in Jeff's, pitch where i think it was sark is like absorbing other programs and they're becoming like him almost like agent smith did in the matrix right. reloaded i visualize that as like 
a much better looking Neo versus Smith's yeah. fight, you know, and that would be really a cool place to have a cool fight sequence as well. Yeah, absolutely. In Chicago, of course, because that's where all big fight scenes happen in movies now. Right, Destroy right. Chicago well, again. <laughs> but in this one, it would be it was beyond the grid. So right, I don't know true. if we would want because it was interesting. Yeah, most of the action, I would assume, would take place on the grid. But there was that and like I had that in there and I don't know if it fit or not where it was kind of like. Yes, he had the ability to reshape the grid at will, but he's also able to have abilities in our world. And that right. was the thing. Same thing like like Michael was talking about. I took some inspiration from Matrix, but that was that part that didn't quite make sense in the Matrix. Why would Neo have abilities in the real world if it's the real world? That was the part that was a little fuzzy. I don't. Well, but I, yeah. I think to me, because of what I was kind of getting at is that Flynn is saying that the ISOs are going to change everything about what we know and what we understand about our reality, essentially. So that's what I feel like. That's where you could easily write that off and just say, okay, what can this child now do? And, you know, maybe... Cora probably to a certain extent too but there I would I would say that it has to do something like the fact that they've mingled now and there's the genetic code and there's the ISO code you know that that are mingled together now that's what opens up these abilities the Deckard can do things that make mm-hmm. him you know because you could even have you know then now the child is a national threat and probably Dillinger and the company he's working with now have connections to the government so they're after the child because I, I, I almost imagine it like this chase film and maybe it ends up they follow them into the grid and now like you're saying a battle on the grid situation where the child's in complete control but I don't know or back and forth a lot of back and forth there's a, a case being made well yes this child is dangerous and then maybe, you know, Tron has something to say about that as well. Because I, I, li- I always like the idea of like that conflict. You know, it's like, yes, these are our heroes, but are they actually able to, you know, be 100% free from blame if they are, you know, ultra powerful and can cause destruction? Right. What do we which, do about that? Right. Which is also that interesting thing, which I was thinking about, too, is that wanting to set it in present day is that it has only been eight years since this movie came out. So that's why I said it two years into the future and said the kid was eight years old. But still, this is an eight-year-old child. And so sending an eight-year-old child into battle is kind of like, I mean, yeah, in some of the cartoons and some of the movies were just like, oh yeah, sure, eight-year-old child in a movie. Uh, I don't I mean, like, Well, what we could do to fix that, though, is it could be a situation of kind of like The Fly 2 or something where the, you know, the, the child ages up fast. But I like it the other way, though. I like the conflict, part of the conflict being like, hey, this is an eight-year-old kid. Like, this is not, you know, this is not some great warrior. This is a third grader. Yeah, but and, then, the, then the counter argument is, yeah, but if they throw a temper tantrum, then we lose half the country, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, but then that's a big deal. There's two things to play with here. First of all, you kind of can picture the kid as like almost like the star child. If you think of 2001 A Space Odyssey, this, the star child is like this omniscient being. Yeah. But you, you have to use Korra as his link to the grid, his mother being 100% in ISO to teach him how to control his power and manipulate his power and almost be his Yoda in, in a sense, you know, because, yeah. you know, you, you need to give her more of a role and in her teaching him how to utilize his power so he doesn't destroy the world is very, very essential to her arc, I would think, as well. 
Jeff, I was going to say, what do you think about this too? With what if also there's a little bit of conflict between Cora and Sam because at a certain point it kind of gets turned that well the unpredictable part of him, the dangerous part of his personality and emotions is your fault. Mm. You know, like if it weren't for you, he, you know, he wouldn't be given to such outrage or whatever, you know, if there's something built into the kid that way, he takes after his dad. Personally, well, I kind of wouldn't want it to go that much. Like you were saying, kind of comparing it to Akira, I kind of wouldn't want it one because like it would turn into a superhero movie. And for me, I feel like we're, we've got enough superhero movies to just talk about like this child struggling with his supernatural powers. Like, I don't feel like that's, especially because my thought was most of his, his special whatever is, is more relevant on the grid. Mm -hmm. So for him, like you're talking about, like he's this terror to the, to the, you know, the human world and he might blow up the thing if he throws attention to like, I don't know that I, I don't know. I feel like that changes, that shifts the dynamic. The significance of the grid, then, you know what I'm saying? Like, ultimately, like, Dillinger would be odor of the grid, so that would be bad. Then just all those programs that well, were, you know, in ISOs and anything else now. Yeah. Uh, well, I think freedom. Exactly. And I think some of it is freedom versus control, where it's like having a free internet where there's freedom of expression, there's freedom of whatever versus, listen, I'm going to control all the content and you're only going to see what I want you to see. And there's one master control. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I because it seemed like a lot of us were saying, you know, we want to show the interactions with the real world. And like you said, you had right. a portion of that. Because I, I guess the, the the question that I have then is why would Dillinger, what would the benefit of owning the grid be for him then? As far as, far as you know, like why is that? It's, it's just, you know, a part of the overall takeover of Encom or is it an actual yeah. focus? Like do we want well, him to be aware of it? And he's like, oh, there's yeah. something special here. Well, yeah, because at least my thought was is that when Sam takes over as CEO, he integrates the grid into Encom, which makes Encom more powerful or whatever. Like it's got the computing abilities and it's got the, like, it's, it's more capable, I guess. And so then owning that technology, owning the ability to like, cause I was thinking too, if it would, there would, there's got to be some sort of an advantage to actually being inside the computer to program that way or something like that. So like to have him actually be doing work in the grid, cause that was kind of the one thing that, and I think Michael, you kind of brought this up is that they never really talked about why Flynn bothered like creating the grid. Like what was the goal here? Well, it's like, like a digital Petri dish is basically what it is. He's but like, it wasn't he created initially, this environment. And then, but for no particular yeah. reason. And then all of a sudden yeah. the ISOs showed up and he's like, hey, we did well. But it was yeah. that wasn't his goal. His yeah, goal, right. just I want to hang out game. with programs. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I don't think so. But yeah, so then to utilize that as like a, somehow he sam can yeah create better programs programs that were you know far beyond our capability by working on that level or i don't know some sort of an ability yeah an advantage for that i mean would you want to borrow at all the concept of the medical technology advancement then sure. i mean like, yeah any of the above i mean because you kind of use the whole iso thing right that isos mm -hmm. would because, well, but that's the one problem. And that's, again, like when we're talking about the way out there concept of Tron Legacy, is that an isometric 
life form is not a sentient program and it's not a artificial intelligence. It's it's a electronic life. So right. it's basically like as opposed to all that we understand as humans of life is, you know, amino acids combine to form complex proteins that makes carbon based life form. This is another thing. And that's that thing that I think when they were saying we're going to change the world, that's what would change the world. So to say that that sort of life, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I guess it's not too big of a stretch to say that that a different concept of life could help us heal our own life. Um, I might take it a step further than that, but I would also say, like, let's not. Yeah, I wouldn't think Sam would want to use Cora as a petri dish herself. Well, yeah, but that—that's why I'm saying, like, I feel like it has to be that Dillinger figures that out, finds out, you know, understanding what an ISO is, and then is first trying to use it for his own means, and then maybe when he's being opposed that's what he like reveals it to the world. And that's why I feel like then at that point that it's kind of like now the heat is on and the pressure's on Sam and Cora to protect their child. You know, everybody's like, you know, it flips out, you know, the universe essentially to realize, whoa, 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 whoa. There's life forms in our computers, again, that are not just programs that when you go to the computer look like people, these are, like you said, actual life forms that spawned from inside a computer. Like, that's a huge thing. I almost like the idea of, like, the whole world is after them on some level. So it's not just a battle for the grid again. It's over the life of a child, but it's over the life of an actual race that could now spawn out of this and what could that mean of us coexisting with them and all of those okay well i mean and that's that's a different movie but that's that's okay the that the uh because then that's the other part too is that as, as i understood at the end of legacy cora was the last iso so yes. we have either a that the sun is now the beginning of although i guess even still then there's now only one and a half yeah. Or is it that on the grid, more ISOs have formed? Yeah, because uh, just because Clue killed all the ones that existed at that moment doesn't mean that they can't just regenerate. Also, Michael, in your pitch, you had Zeus come back there. Yeah. Wasn't he, wasn't he an ISO or did he just help no. the ISOs? He helped yeah. them. Oh, like, okay, that's all of us. Okay. But, but, you know, Can he at least be, like, gravely injured after the <laughs> giant explosion? Getting yeah. blown up, yeah. He's got, like, but, a cane that he walks with. But, like, <laughs> again, who, who's to say when Flynn and Clue merge with one another, they don't spark a new breed of ISOs, you know? Who, who knows, you know? Yeah, because I, but I, I love the idea of, like, and again, Jeff, you're saying this might be a different movie, but if you're talking about, like, a major set piece... You know, what is this visual that's going to get people into the seats? What, what makes this movie different is I love the concept of literally like Dillinger tries to get, you know, get it. Okay, you're not giving it to me. You're all going to die, essentially. He is working with the government or subgroup, and he actually gets this army brought onto the grid. And now they're in there attacking, fighting literal people, you know, that are soldiers coming in and invading so now it is the grid versus humanity with the, if, the core center being let this you know new life form right. exist. Right. Well, then if you want, like, why not do it the other way around where you've got the army that he raises on the grid, he brings into our world. So do you think maybe could it be that the kid, you know, is that Deckard is actually 
again, because he's a child, feels like, well, if they're hurting me and they're threatening me, I'm going to go after them. Because, again, he has limited understanding. So he, yeah, he creates his RV, goes out and fights and makes the problem worse, like shows that he's a threat, you know, against his well, parents' No, I was wishes. thinking, like, I was thinking Dillinger. Oh. Like Dillinger raised an army. Like, you were, I thought that's what you were talking about, with the soldiers, and then he created well, yeah, soldiers. Well, yeah, yeah, but and, I would say he's he's attacking the grid because he's trying to get revenge, or he's just like, fine, you're not playing my game, I'll just take you all out. Why, why would Dillinger bring an army out of the grid, though? That he could. I mean, if you're talking about, like, what's the advantage of the grid... That, that oh. could be that could be a thing. Like, you could sell that to the government, basically. Right, if you're looking like, for yeah, that set piece. Life forms. Would Dillinger be bringing it out, or, or would Sark be bringing them out of the grid? Hmm. Because, you know, if Sark 2.0 or, or Sark is the program version of the human villain, they would be communicating with one another to bring right. an army out, you that's know? That's true. That's, that's a good point. And, and I kind of like, or or the other option is, is that kind of like, because that's that thing that so far we haven't had in the two movies, including all of the, the extra world stuff, there's never been a program and a user kind of working together in unison. The closest thing was Tron and, and Alan, but I mean, like Clue and Flynn, obviously were on opposite sides. Sark and uh, Dillinger. I mean, I guess they were working together, but then Master Command was like in the middle, and they were each doing their own thing. So it would be interesting to have Dillinger Jr. on the outside and Sark 2.0 on the inside. They're like doing the things together, and they're like working together like brothers or twins or something like that. And we could even have them meet at some point. That might be interesting. Because my thought is, I don't know. I kind of feel like bringing earthly, I don't know that you can, I mean, I guess they could figure out a way, but bringing in earthly human weapons onto the grid, I think they'd be kind of like, what is this? Like, what is this going to do? Well, to they, me? Like, they, they brought in an orange. They got rid of an orange and then brought it back. Right. But my point is, if, if you shoot a program with a bullet, it's going to be like, and like, what did that do to me? Like, it's not going to de-resolute, you know, a program. Well, but they their arms break if you just hit them with a baton on the grid. So I, you know what I'm saying? Like they shatter if they fall. Like they're they're much more fragile than humans. These programs uh, on the grid, you might recall. So I fear like a bullet's going to do plenty of damage. I don't know. If but it's I, got I, a mass in the real world, and then you're attacking in the grid. I mean, just like if you punch somebody and you got brought into the grid, you're going to have, you know, mass that impacts that program, so. I almost wonder, though, like, if you think of it this way, imagine those tanks on the grid and that big airship coming out of, manifesting out of nothing into the real world, and you're seeing it, like, flying over the, you know, Golden Gate Bridge. That's a terrifying yeah. image. Yeah, so that just feels like pixels to me. That that were in Adam Sandler well, territory. No, but not not the ones in Legacy. The ones or not the, the ones in Tron original. Yes, then that feels like pixels. But the new ones, those are pretty. They're especially pretty, Clues ship and yeah. yeah, that one the glider fighter things that they use at the end. Yeah, those are yeah. cool. Yeah. The the thing I'm still stuck on though is I don't understand Dillinger's motivation for bringing those out, other than saying. Look what I could accomplish. Is that all you're saying? Is he saying, look, now I command all this and I can bring out endless amounts of soldiers and machines and anything. All I have to do is click a few strokes of the keyboard and you've got a whole army at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Like that's I'm just it trying to be. 
his motivation in that case. Yeah, it could be that he's working for the highest bidder and there's like terror. He's working for terrorists or he's working for whatever. Because that's the one where it feels like generic action superhero movie to me. I feel like it has to be a revenge based thing. Like Adam's was his father dies of cancer. Mine, his father commits suicide. And it could be something to do related to, let's say he dies of cancer. Maybe he was got cancer by dealing with the MCP in the begin in the first movie. And now the son is getting vengeance on the company for basically killing his father. You know, I think that's got to be a part of it in some, some way. Okay. I mean, but then you're the right, case, Adam, yeah. then the bringing them into this world wouldn't necessarily, I was just more going for like, you were talking about kind of like creating that set piece and wanting to set stuff in this world. Yeah, that's why I was saying. I just yeah, thought the, the invasion on the it. other side, you know, into the grid would make more sense in that mm. case if Dillinger's looking for revenge, because that's kind of where it's all the digital beings and people involved in that that have made his life difficult. It's yeah. not he's not trying to threaten the outside world or threaten Encom, the company. I mean, he is, but I don't know why. Like he wants to get revenge. Well, Sam sort of wanted revenge on Encom too, and doing all his pranks and stuff, so they could have a good conversation about that. Yeah. It's not the way, you know. But it's it's difficult, you know, because you want it to be appealing to the masses to have these, you know, big moments. But at the same time, does it get lost in the shuffle because of that? Mm-hmm. You know, like does it just become another world-ending attack situation? Is there, like I said, I almost feel like, you know, going a more personal philosophical route, but showing a little bit of some powers that maybe is a little bit more effective. Yeah. Well, and that was where, because again, my movie was more, was less about the kid, or I mean, directly. And it was more, yeah. you know, it was this revolution that he was going to be leading this revolution of programs. Yeah. But yeah, to make it more of a, of a personal thing, you could still do that on the grid i would think Mm. i just feel i just feel like having him be dr strange in our world i I don't know that that's that's not what you want yeah okay well i mean i I think i think ultimately you know it's like you said we've talked about the the possibilities there there's some good ideas thrown around and the good news is if we just threw it all together in a blender to make make about as much sense as the other films too because they all had their plot holes they all had their uh this is cool but how does it all really fit together you know you have to think about it a lot so it could be with this one you got a lot of strands and you grab the one that means the most to you but the good news is we don't have to recast because we basically are just using existing characters and continuing them in the universe. So it's true, unless you know any uh, eight-year-olds that uh, <laughs> you know are waiting for their big break. Two years from now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there we have it. Tron Three Revolution, Jeff. Uh, if that's what we're sticking with, yeah, that's what <laughs> I have. What is the revolution? We'll get back to you. We hope that the Tron universe gets revisited one of these days, whether it's with one of our ideas, that would be nice. If not, we just love the look of it. Honestly, like just the Tron legacy aesthetic that they've created. I could watch any movie like that. Even, you know, Blade Runner 2049 was very similar. I feel it owes a bit to Tron legacy, just like Tron legacy. owes a lot to the original Blade Runner, Mm. but I, I feel like all those films fit really well together. So, with that, Michael, you got anything coming up we should look out for? Some any documentary projects or other film works? Well, um, I uh, was just working on a small uh, documentary I'm looking to do about uh, 
my town in Long Island that I'm just flushing out the, the beginnings of it. I actually had a meeting today, which was pretty cool. Um, honestly, nothing really exciting to report yet. So as I if I do in the near future, I will gladly let everybody know. Awesome. We've done a lot of specials lately. Yeah, we're getting into that time of year. We feel good. We want to celebrate. And so we are coming up on our 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Award Show. It is going to be revealed to you all soon. We're going to give you an opportunity also as the fans and listeners to give your opinions and vote, maybe be a tiebreaker for some of our nominees and who's going to walk away with the gold. So make sure you're watching our social media so you can participate. Until next time, end of line. Box Littner? (laughs) Box Leitner? Got to ask the Babylon 5 fans. They'll tell you how to say it. Uh, Box Leitner, yeah. Bachleiter? No, you had it. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just cut out whatever I missed. Uh, <laughs> Steven Leisberger and Joseph Kaczynski? <laughs> yeah. Take it again. Steven Lisberger and Joseph Kaczynski. Yeah. <laughs> Steven Lisberger and Joseph Kaczynski. Huh. <laughs> Kaczynski. Are you thinking, are you thinking about Malcolm in the Middle, Jade? Kulzinski? I don't know. We got too many uh, of these. I names. don't know. I've just been talking Let's baseball be for the last hour, and some of those names you can get a little tongue-tied on. So, Kaznisky. <laughs> oh, Kozinski. Kozinski. There it is. <laughs> Joseph Kozinski. This will be a wow. fun edit for you, there, Adam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. ITunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 